When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. I want you to put in your diary the 15th of October, 7 p.m. at the State Library Theatre. I'm doing a show called The Consequences of Murder with an amazing former Queensland police officer, Helen Rose. I go into detail I've never shared before, particularly on a personal side. As the show is a little bit different this time, we go deep into the murders that we've been involved in, but also the effects of being involved in those murders. The murder that Helen was involved in will shock you to the core. It's everybody's worst nightmare. So grab a ticket and we'll see you there. Thanks. Uh, Hello and thanks for listening and coming with me as we explore the human side and impact of crime. And just a couple of things I'd like to ask you to consider. Firstly, My guests share their personal stories, which others may see differently. No one will see a situation the same. It's just human nature. Uh, Secondly, my podcasts aren't suitable for children and some adults for that matter. So please consider if it's right for you and contact Lifeline or any other support service if you find yourself affected by my subject matter. When I came home from the two-day camp, I was black and blue. It looked like I'd been in a car accident. I need to issue a warning here. With today's guest, we talk openly about my guest's struggles with drug and alcohol addiction, both during and after his time with Victoria Police. Chris has been out of Victoria Police now for about 20 years, but what he shares with us is shocking, confronting, and also obviously illegal, which he feels shame about. However, it's how it was for him. He rightly points out that what he experienced in the late 80s and 90s wouldn't happen these days because of testing requirements which have been put in place. In policing, the SOG, the Special Operations Group, are who we'd call when as police we were confronted with a situation too dangerous for general policing to deal with. They were, and no doubt still are, the bravest of the brave the strongest of the strong, the fittest of the fit, the most courageous, the the best marksman in the state who can creep onto a property or into a house and be within centimetres of an armed offender who, hopefully, will have no idea that they're there. They risk their lives with every incident they attend. The SOG isn't for the faint-hearted. Their physical requirements are incredibly onerous, but I wonder if the mental toughness was as onerous and what training that entailed, if any. Today's guest 
dreamed of joining the SOG since he graduated from the police academy in 1984. Just to be accepted to apply is an achievement in itself. Chris Glassell was part of 100 applicants in one of the selection processes in 1994 who participated in a two-day course of which only 12 were accepted into that SOG intake course. But by week eight of the 12-week intake course, only four remained. And one of those four was Chris. On average, Chris tells me that around six members per year qualify for the SOG. And Chris ended up being a member of the SOG for four years. Those four years were full of mental and physical challenges. And much of that was before he left the office. After the SOG, Chris went to Socket. Remember what uh, Socket is, the Sex Offence and Child Abuse Investigative Team. He went there as a sergeant, and whilst there, he faced other unexpected challenges which tested him in similar ways to the SOG. Chris also did some acting sergeant duties at uh, Frankston, Chelsea, and Mornington. So he had a really well-rounded career with Vic Pohl in many ways. However, like him, uh, too many of us, it took its toll. Chris was in rehab three times for his addictions before he realised that it was him that was the problem, not everyone else that he was blaming. Chris has been clean and sober for 10 years. I think that challenge would have been more difficult than any other challenge that Chris faced in his time as a policeman. But let's have a chat to him and delve a little further into it, shall we? So, uh, welcome, Chris, and uh, thank you for joining us. Yeah, hi, Narelle. Thanks very much for having me. Very humbling, to be totally honest with you. <laughs> oh, stop it. Stop it. Um, just for the listeners, we uh, we did have it organised for yesterday, but what on earth are you thinking, Chris, of working night shift? I, I thought that uh, – I, I don't know how you do night shift anymore, but not as a policeman. You're obviously doing something else night shift-wise, but I thought – you, you need your head red, to be honest, to be doing night shift. Doesn't it muck us up? It, uh, it does uh, ruin the, the, the sleep uh, pattern, certainly does. But, um, look, I, I've always been a night owl, to be honest with you, Narelle, and um, uh, at the moment uh, with uh, certain things that are going on in my life, it's uh, this night shift job actually has been good for me. Um, I won't go into the details of what it is, but... Um, it's uh, it's it's kept me kept me uh, busy basically. Um, otherwise, I'd be sitting around here at home, um, sort of feeling sorry for myself, which I don't want to do. Um, I'm over that. Yeah, and I get what you mean too, Chris, because a lot of people have a lot of issues. Uh, you know, when things are going on in their life, they have a lot of issues uh, trying to sleep. So you're right. I suppose night shift takes that. Well, one of those issues away, but then, <laughs> you know, you got to sleep at some time, and I suppose during the day. I found it harder to sleep during the day, to be honest, than at night. But when you're that tired, you just, you know, you fall in a heap, don't you? Um, yeah, look, I, I, don't, I must admit, Narelle, I don't sleep a lot during the day. It's um, I, I sort of get home 7, 8 o'clock in the morning, depending on how busy the shift is that I'm doing. And um, normally I'll just sort of grab an hour here and an hour there. And, and on average, I'm... Look, I've never been a great sleeper. I've never been an eight-day or a night sleeper. Um, so I sort of average five to six hours and, and have done for a long, long time. So I, I, I seem to survive on that. And, um, you know, everybody's different. Some people need their eight hours, nine hours. I'm, I survive on five or six and seem to get by. Um, well, you, 
you're very lucky, Chris, because um, yeah, I I, re- I really suffered with that night shift. But anyway, look, Chris, I know you've said that if you were able to turn back time, that you would, and that you can't change what's happened uh, and what you've done in your life. However, you own your mistakes and don't shy away from them, which I I admire uh, greatly. Would I be right in assuming that? your drug and alcohol addictions are what you're refer- referring to there and when was it that you realised you had a problem and do you know where and why those problems began? Uh, how, how long have we got for this interview? <laughs> um, <laughs> as long as you want, Chris. Yeah, look, um, yeah definitely, uh, absolutely, that, that was the, the issue, my, my uh, drug addiction to start to begin with. Uh, and then my alcohol addiction, um, it, uh, it pretty well ruined uh, everything for me. It ruined my career, it ruined uh, relationships, uh, it ruined friendships. Um, um, yeah, it ruined, That's it what ruined, it does, it, isn't it, ruined, it, Chris? It ruined a lot of things that took a hold of me. And um, I, need, I need to clarify uh, in regards to what you said at the start that I've been clean and sober for 10 years. Um, yeah, look, it, it's, the alcohol is a, a constant... Um, Battle. battle is a good word for yeah. it. Um, you know, yeah. I take it day by day. Today I'm, I'm fantastic and have been for a little while, but uh, look, I'll, I'll be totally honest with yourself and, and the listeners that uh, yeah, I did fall off the wagon about three months ago. Um, that was as a result of um, yeah, a, a relationship breakdown, which I won't go into. Um, yeah. But it, it's funny, you know, you, you talk about turning back time and regrets, um, you know, being in a, a long-term relationship, you, you tend to, and I've spoken to quite a few people about this and I came to the realisation when they said to me, when you're in a long-term relationship, you tend to lose part of yourself um, and yes. not yourself, uh, yourself. Um, and. Yeah. I, I, that sort of resonated with me and I, I had a, a long think about that and I thought, you know what, I, I did lose some of myself in that relationship and, look, don't get me wrong, um, I, I'm not sure she'll find out about this and listen to it. Uh, I love her dearly and always will, uh, absolutely. Um, you know, I'm going to try not to get emotional <laughs> during this uh, this interview but um, yeah. I've taken the time now and come to that realisation. I'll, I'll maybe call it an epiphany. I don't know what you might call it but, I've, I've yep. just been sitting here and discovering myself again. And you know what? I, I'm actually starting to like myself again. Um, oh. Yeah, not, not, not quite back to loving myself yet, um, but I'm actually getting there. And, um, you know, I'm okay. I'm all right at the moment. And, um, yeah. you know, turning back time and regrets. Um, once again, I had a chat to another one of my mates who's a, a huge inspiration for me. He's also an ex the SOG member, um, yeah. and I'm sure he, I won't mention his name because he's very private and humble, but um, I'm sure he won't mind me mentioning the fact that he was in a serious motorcycle accident about 10, 11, 12 years ago. Um, he's yeah. now confined to a wheelchair, and uh, he's an inspiration to me because his attitude to life, um, his zest, his drive, uh, he's, he's always mm. positive, um, and if somebody like that can be positive, um, you know, me sitting here feeling sorry sorry for myself is just bullshit. Um, yeah, you know, yeah. Um, now, he said to me a little while ago that he has no regrets. The only regret that he has in life is uh, how he hurt people along the way by his treatment. And, again, I thought about that and I thought, you know what, you're absolutely correct with that. Um, so, no, I, I don't 
regret uh, the drugs. I don't regret the alcohol. I don't regret the mistakes I made in life um, because that's all of that has made me the person I am today. So I'm with him. The only regret I do have is the people that are hurt along the way and, and you know, they may be, I've, I've apologised to a lot of them. Um, I, I can't take that back, what I've done, um, and I'm not, not proud of it. But, um, but, yeah, that's my attitude at the moment. That's, that's my only regret. But, but, Chris, I think that I don't know anybody that hasn't in their life at some point disappointed themselves with their response to something or their reaction to something, saying something to someone, doing something. Like, uh, as we've uh, said uh, you know, in our conversations prior to today, that that's really what makes us who who we are. I don't know anybody that could go through life and not make mistakes, and and have you know a couple of a couple of regrets. But I I just want to go back to what you said that you sound like you're sort of. Um, beating yourself up, let's say, about falling off the wagon a couple of months ago. But, you know, I think it would, I think when you've got an, I haven't got an addiction, I never have, I don't know what, uh, what that entails, but I know it entails a lot of strength to get through something when uh, you could easily uh, revert back, but you haven't, you know, okay, you got off the wagon for however long it was, but you're back into being sober, you're back into uh, being drug free. So, you know, I, I think a lot of people beat themselves up about that sort of stuff, but it, it got you through. I'm not, I'm not condoning it, but I'm just saying you got through it, didn't you? And and you've come out the other side. So if that's helped you, I'm not saying good on you, but if that's what it takes, well, that's what it takes. Yeah, look, uh, I, I won't say I've got through it because uh, addiction is, and I'm a very addictive person. I, I'm, if yep. I do something, I'm in it 110%. It's all, it's, yep. it's all or nothing with me. So, yeah. so yeah. If, I hit, yeah. if I hit the piss, I'm going to hit the piss, right? <laughs> um, but, yeah, I um, get that. Yeah. Yeah. But look, uh, as I said, it, it's just a day-to-day thing. And, and yep. uh, you know, I've gone to AA and all that sort of stuff, all the other um, places that you need to go to and seen psychologists yeah. and uh, all the rest of it and spoken to people. And um, it is. It's just you, you just take it day by day. And sometimes you need to break it down hour to hour. Um, but, yeah. but right at this moment, uh, at this point in time, when I'm talking to you at uh, 11.22 a.m. on the 20th of August, um, I'm, I'm happy. I'm, I'm in a, a, a good headspace. So um, that, that's, that's all that, I, that matters to me today. Yeah, yeah, and that's fantastic. I'll worry about about tomorrow, tomorrow. Yeah. And and Chris, so where did your, if you don't mind talking about it, and feel free if you want to move on, but where did your drug and alcohol addiction begin and why? (laughs) Yeah, well, it's a funny story. I I, I joined Vic Poll in 1984 and um, I'd actually never had any drugs prior to that. I was 19. Well, I turned 19 in the academy, actually. And, yep. uh, you know, I was, I was always fit, trained, uh, kept my, looked after myself. And funnily enough, um, I, 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 look, my, my biggest mistake in the job was not finding the right mentors for myself, which I should have done. I, I hung around with the wrong crowd. I was young. You know, I just wanted, yep. I wanted to party. I wanted to enjoy myself. 
Uh, but you would at 19. Well, that's right. But, um, you know, I just thought things would happen for me in the police and um, I got involved with the wrong sort of members and, uh, you know, the other party animals. And it was amazing. It was an eye-opener how many uh, police officers, uh, police members actually smoked marijuana back in the day. Um, look, Really? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> look, I, I won't go into figures and numbers and stuff, but uh, it, was, it, it, it was quite high. And there was a big drinking culture in the police force back then too. Uh, oh, my God, Chris, the drinking was out of control and I joined in 87, so three years later than you. Yeah. Yes, I'd have to say the drinking was something that I'd never experienced before. Oh. However, the drugs, that really surprises me. I never... I never saw anything like that. But then again, maybe it was the crowd that unfortunately you um, were drawn to is what, um, you know, uh, started it all, I suppose. I mean, I'm not blaming the crowd because in the end we're responsible for our own decisions, but I never saw the drugs. Were they that prevalent? Uh, They were where I went. Um, And look, (laughs) Narelle, there's no point me being – anything other than honest during this, this interview, and we used to smoke at work. Um, not, not during the day, but night shift. If it was on night shift, we'd, we'd, like, I'd, we'd drive down to, well, I won't say where, but uh, we'd, drive, yeah. we'd drive down to a location where we could watch the sunrise and we'd sit on, yeah. sit on the bonnet of the div van and pull out a joint and smoke a joint. Um, you know, oh, I look, Chris. I look, I, in a, look, absolutely disgusting behaviour and... You know, I look back on that and I think absolutely um, terrible thing to do. It's, it's, you know, here we are. We're, yeah. we're meant to be enforcing the law and here we are smoking joints while we're on duty. Yeah. Um, but yeah. look, to cut a long story short, um, that that's how I got addicted to the marijuana. Um, it is a very addictive drug. And to be honest with you, Narelle, I, I actually didn't think I was doing anything wrong. I was still high-functioning. I was still performing my duties. Yep. You know, I was getting good reports. Yep. Um, I was doing my job, and I, I just thought it was harmless fun. Um, obviously, yep. Yep. obviously, it wasn't because, I mean, bottom line is it's illegal. Um, so yep. that, that's how I got addicted to marijuana. And uh, basically, I, all of my friends smoked. Um, so after hours, I'd be going down there. Look, when I was on call at the, at the SAG, you know, not two weeks out of three weeks, you're on call. Um, I'd come home from work and I'd, I'd smoke bongs all night, you know, and then get called into a job. Um, <laughs> was that you? Why were you smoking bongs, Chris? Was it because you were stressed, or it was because you liked the feeling, or what? What was? Why were you doing it? It. It relaxed me. Uh, that's, that's, that's the, the general consensus answer yep. that everybody gives. It, it relaxes me. Look, I wasn't a big drinker back then. Um, that, that, was, that was my, um, my vice. And um, like I said, I was still high-functioning and was able to do my job. Um, look, with any addiction, alcohol, drugs, you, you build up a tolerance anyway. So I, I, I was yep. still able yep. to perform my job. Um, you know, but in hindsight, I got to the stage where I became a danger to myself and others, but, um, that, and that's one of the reasons why I left. So, you know, I, I had many, many years where I was addicted to the, the marijuana, and it, it was actually common knowledge at the uniform station that I was working with that we were all smoking. The bosses knew, the sergeants knew, but they, they didn't care, you know, so long as we did our job. And, uh, and there was a number of people up at the SOG that, that knew I was smoking as well, and, and 
you know, we'll, we'll touch on that. But, you know, this, this is where I get angry because there was one, one of the guys up there um, found out about, about my smoking and threatened to go and see the boss about it. And now he was promptly told to put in his place and uh, told not to do that. Now, um, I actually found out later that this person was going out to nightclubs and popping ecstasy tablets as well. Um, so I got really angry when I heard that. I thought, you fucking hypocrite. <laughs> Here he is having a go at me for smoking marijuana and he's out popping ecstasy tablets. Uh, um, so drugs, yeah, drugs were everywhere in the police force um, while I was in there. Uh, I, I, I doubt if they would be as prevalent today because members get drug tested, random drug testing. Um, so I doubt very much. You know, the culture's changed a hell of a lot. Um, as far as I'm aware of. But it sounds, but it'd need to, wouldn't it? Because it, would. it was out of control, like just from what I experienced with the drinking, that was out of control. Yes. Uh, I, I can remember on night shift, I never ever saw drugs, but I can remember on night shift, we'd, uh, you know, the boss would come in and bring a bottle of wine <laughs> and, you know, we'd have a red with dinner. I mean, it's just. It's just bizarre what you actually start to think is normal or okay. <laughs> yeah, well, that's right. I mean, as you, you know, remember the night shift barbecues. At the end of the night shift, we'd go to the night shift barbecues. All the stations from the area would turn up. We'd all get pissed. We'd all get pissed and drive home drunk. Um, and I, I had one of the night shift barbies. Well, it wasn't so much a barbecue, but everyone came back to my place. And the boss, the inspector, the night shift inspector turned up in the police car. And he was the last to leave. He was the last to leave. And he, he drove home drunk in the police car. So, you know, it's, uh, it, things, had, things had to change. Um, you know, they I, did. I, I, yep. I think it's sad a lot of the changes that have happened. Um, like I've still got a little foot in the door in regards to the police department. I, I still know quite a number of people in there. And, um, yeah, it, it, it's... <laughs> If they get 10 years out of somebody now, I think they're quite happy. There's so many members going off on stress, um, members committing suicide, uh, Australia-wide, not just Victoria. It's it's really, really sad, really, really sad. Yeah. You know what I, I, um, I found interesting, what you said back then, is that you said way back that you didn't have a lot of mentors. Uh-huh. And, you know, I look back on my career in my initial I don't know, let's say five years. And I've got to say, I didn't, I can't think of uh, too many that I really looked up to. I I think a lot of police get promoted because they're clever academically, but because you're clever academically doesn't mean that you can manage people. And I don't, I didn't know too many sergeants or above that were really good or could actually manage people. I'm glad you mentioned that because I was going to touch on that. And, uh, you know, there was a couple of sergeants at the SOG that made my life hell. Um, And I stand tall because uh, I think I was – I think, look, I was unfairly treated by them because everybody, all the sergeants up there were taught one way and that was just to – lead by power, basically. Um, the sergeants up there were referred to as God, okay? So what they said went. Um, 
and they treated everybody the same. If if you if you fucked up, they they would just berate you um, and punish you, and that's that's not a way of leading men. Every look, if I was a sergeant, and I'd like to think that um, this is the way I treat most people. I, I everybody's different, and everybody reacts differently to. Um, how they're told to do things. And uh, a good quote I remember reading once, and uh, I, I live by this, is a good leader is somebody uh, that you want to follow, not somebody that you feel you have to follow. Yeah, and yeah, uh, and there was a, a number of sergeants up at the SOG and, and in uniform that you just felt you had to follow. Um, and these two sergeants at the SOG um, were those people. And, and everybody felt the same way about them. You know, I... I, I, I pretty well came to fisticuffs with uh, uh, one of them and um, for, you know, and he was in the wrong. I won't go over what the situation was and I stood up for myself. I'd I'd had enough and I actually just stood my ground and stood up for myself and I remember walking out in a a rage to to cool down in the the locker room and one of the other guys, uh, Senior Connie, came in and uh, just patted me on the back and said, uh, you know, my nickname was Glaz. And uh, he said, Glaz, good on you for sticking up for yourself. Um, and that really made me feel good, you know. So um, everybody, you, you need to know your men and treat everybody differently. I mean, some people might react okay with a finger pointing in the chest and being yelled at where, yeah. where you know, it's, it's got to be constructive criticism. And, uh, but but that's not how you manage somebody is by belittling them really. and. Yeah. And being like that, like I don't know anybody that were, would respond well to being belittled and uh, I don't know. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. 
For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. What the word is, I think I read somewhere that you referred to it as bastardization. Yeah, bastardization and bullying. That, 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 yeah, bullying. Yeah, bullying. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they were bullies. It was pure and simple. They were bullies. And, um, you know, I, I actually feel sorry for them now because they've obviously got their own issues um, if they need to treat other people like that. I, I was just going to say, I think uh, bullies in general do have an issue with their own uh, self uh, belief or what they think of themselves. And that's why I think bullies are bullies because that's the only way that they can. I don't know, gain sort of popularity or notoriety. It, it's pathetic in in my view. But um, we will get on to your time in the SOG in a sec. But I just wanted to uh, finish off with the drug and alcohol uh, side of things. Uh, prior to becoming clean and sober for, you know, 99% of the time, 98, whatever, huh. <laughs> um, you, you said that you'd been in rehab uh, three times. Yep. So, what was the catalyst for not regressing like you had the three previous times? Like what was different? What had changed? Um, look, it took me a long time to get to rehab. I should, have, I should have accepted the help a lot early, professional help. Uh, a lot of people were saying to me, you need to get professional help. Uh, you know, I, I can be stubborn and, you know, my attitude was uh, I don't need rehab. I don't need to go and speak to somebody. I know what they're going to tell me. I know what I have to do. I just need to do it. Um, but, but <laughs> easy, it, it, so it, easy. It, yeah, well, it, yeah, it sounds easy, doesn't it? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But, no, look, I, I got to the stage where um, it was just a realization that what I was doing wasn't working, and I, I needed the help. So yeah, I went into rehab the first time. Look, I, I got into alcohol because I wanted to get off the marijuana. Um, so strange, strangely enough, I thought, okay, I'm just going to drink. Uh, until the the um, addiction to the marijuana has passed, the cravings for the marijuana has passed. I thought, yeah, easy, no worries. Um, that worked, that worked. Uh, you know, I've been off the marijuana for, you know, I've lost count how many years, um, but <laughs> suddenly I'm addicted to the alcohol. So yeah. I, I, I replaced one poison with another one. Um, and As you say, I think that's the difficulty with having that what you referred to as an addictive personality. If it's not the drugs, it'll be the alcohol. If it's not the alcohol, it might be um, going to the gym. If it's not the gym, it might be running. You know, like I understand yeah. that people with addictive personalities, if yeah, they need something, don't they? For, for whatever reason, I don't know. Yeah, they do. Um, so. Yeah, so I went to the rehab the first time and um, I was sober for about six months and uh, and then fell off the wagon again and went straight back into rehab. Um, so that, that, that happened three times and um, then I finally realised that, well, rehab is just not ha- not working for me. It doesn't work for me. It doesn't work for everybody. And 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 I got I got quite depressed in there because it it was a revolving door. Every time I went back, the, yeah. the same people were back again. Um, oh, there, yeah. There's a very very low success rate with it. Um, so a friend of mine, um, well, my girlfriend at the time, gave me a book to read. And it was called uh, The Power of Now by a, a German guy, actually, by the name of Eckhart Tolle. And I read that and read it again. And 
it really resonated with me. And it, it's all about just living in the present moment, this very present moment. Um, yeah. He doesn't even think about the past because that's that's gone. Nothing you can do about it. And he doesn't really think about the future. He, do, he doesn't say don't plan for the future, but uh, it, it's, it's really interesting. It's a very heavy read, but... He, you know, he says, don't think about the future because you're never going to get there. And, and this sounds really, really, it makes sense when I say it, but it sounds strange. He said, you'll never get to the future because once you get there, it's not the future anymore. It's the present. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So he's, yeah, yeah, it I makes do. sense. That you'll never get to the future. So don't worry about the future. All you need to worry about is this very moment. This is the most important moment in your life right now so yeah so this is the most important moment in my life right now talking to you um so yeah so i look apart from that um i I don't really know why things have changed for me i i heard someone say once that you know look i'm i'm not i don't believe in god or anything like that but someone said to me once that um he's a um, recovering um, alcoholic, although they don't, don't use the word alcoholic anymore, it's alcohol use disorder or something similar. And okay. he said to me, God, when I was born, God said, okay, he, you've got X amount of drinks that you can drink for your life, okay? And he says, well, I've, I've finished that. I've reached my quota, so I don't need to drink anymore. That's his way of getting through it. Um, look, I, 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 just, I just look at gratitude and acceptance now. Um, I, I have to be gratitude, uh, grateful for what I've got. I've got. I've got my house. I've got a roof over my head. I can put food on the table. I can pay my bills. I can go out and have fun. Um, I've got friends. Um, you know, I'm lucky. I'm lucky. And um, you know, there, there's there were incidents, as you know, and probably touch on in my childhood, um, which probably sort of um, led me to my addictions as well. Um, it wasn't just the police force, but now I look back and I think I'm I'm just. I'm over feeling sorry for myself. I don't need to feel sorry for myself. I I am one of the luckiest people in the world. So um, I don't need the alcohol. Uh, Not today anyway. (laughs) You know, it's funny you talk about uh, the the book you read and it it all sounds to me a lot like what I practised when I was really sick with mindfulness, just about getting through the day. But I just thought of this funny, uh, I know it's not really amusing, the whole subject, but I can't get over, there's a shop near where I live. And I just love a saying on the front front door and it says, free beer tomorrow. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Yeah, that's good. That's good. I like that. I like that. Yeah, I do too. Hey, Hey, can we get on to um, your life uh, in the soul? Yes. Because it's just such a oh, different uh, world to most of us. And as you said, you said that the sergeants were like God. Well, to be honest, the SOG are like God to, you know, most members of any police force and they're held in such high esteem. Uh, the equipment that you have at the ready reads like a Rambo movie to me, including uh, the pig as you call it, Uh, the armour-plated vehicle, which is over two tonnes, bulletproof and can hold up to eight members all kitted out. That is one serious vehicle. Um, That's a lot of testosterone in any one place. Uh, Can you tell us about the standard equipment that you'd have on your person to go to any job that you'd attend at any time? (laughs) 
Yeah, look, the, the full when you were we used to call it when you were fully kitted, we, we called it. Um, oh, geez, what did we call it? Uh, full full class full class three, I think it was from memory. Yep. Um, yep. Now, obviously, we wore our black coveralls, and uh, that was just the uniform. And then uh, we had our um, armored plates. Um, it, which basically covered our chest. We had an armoured plate in the front, armoured plate at the back, and a groin plate as well. Um, now, they were, they were obviously armour plated, so they, they were quite heavy. Uh, then, then you had your tactical vest over the top of that, which was everybody had a, a pers- personalised it to themselves, um, you know, because mm-hmm. everybody liked to reach for things in different ways. So, um it was all personalised. So on your um, tactical vest, you'd have uh, extra magazines for your weapons. Um, that normally, you'd carry a sidearm, which um, when I first started, but it was a, a six-hour P two two six nine millimeter. Uh, they then went to went to the uh, just before I left, went to the Heckler and Koch forty calibre. Um, so mm. normally, you'd have one of those strapped to your strapped to your uh, strapped to your leg. Uh, you may have a secondary handgun uh, in your tactical vest as well, or on your tactical vest. Um, you'd obviously have your long arm firearm, depending on the job, whatever that was. Um, when I was there, you know, we used shotguns, we used the uh, Heckler and Koch uh, submachine gun. Um, then obviously you'd have, well, obviously you'd you'd also have um, your um, uh, flashbangs or what people would refer to as stun grenades. Um, other personalised equipment that you might have for yourself. We always carried a first aid kit uh, in our tactical vest as well. Uh, obviously, if somebody was injured or got shot, we'd uh, we'd need to use that. Um, what what would be in your first aid? Look, kit? Look, it, it was fairly it was fairly uh, simple. Um, a band aid, a band aid, for instance. <laughs> uh, a little, a little, a little bit more than that. Uh, basically, we we had just pressure pressure bandages and and bandages. So if somebody got shot, you just put the pressure bandage on and be able to bandage them up. Um, Good. Uh, yeah. Um, I, I, that that was that, look that was pretty well lit to be honest with you. I mean, that, that, look, there's not a lot you can do. We're not we're not medics, um, so you could only do the best you could do. But uh, thank thank God that that didn't occur during my time there. Um, mm. Now, what else would you hold? Obviously, your, your OC spray, your gas mask. Uh, you've got your helmet, uh, ballistic helmet, uh, which came in when I was there. Um, you might have your your, your goggles as well. Um, you know, some people wore balaclavas as well. Um, you know, the, the personalised equipment. Some people, ca- or oh, your ass baton, you carried that. Um, you know, some people would carry other things like um, this a little tool to smash a car window if you needed to get into a car. Um, you know, a multi-tool like the you know those pliers, almost like a Swiss Army knife, but pliers and stuff like that. Um, cable ties. Uh, oh God, the list goes on. I mean, you know, all up. All, all up that that you know you're carrying around about probably thirty kilos, and um, oh, you know nice. when when you're on a job sometimes, uh, you know we were we were at a siege or the Mitchum siege with a solicitor back in I can't remember what year it was but um, ninety six or thereabouts. Um, you know we were on that siege for oh god it was it was close to twenty four hours. So you're mm-hmm. you know you, you're standing around. And walking around in thirty kilos for twenty four hours, it takes its toll. Um, you know, there was a lot of members up there that that ended up with with bad backs, um, just as a res- oh, as, as a result of all that. Um, so, hey, hey, just just um, 
I know this is possibly inappropriate, but I've got to ask. Uh So with all that gear, 30 extra kilos, and you can be somewhere for 24 hours, you could be lying in grass for 24 hours or, you know, under a house or something. Mm, Could be. What happens if you have to go to the toilet? I do (laughs) apologise, but it's just something natural I would think of as being a female. Uh, Well, look, that, that probably applies more to the snipers. Um, because once they're in position, they literally cannot move. Um, if I mean, yeah, look, if we're at a siege or something like that, oh, yeah, look, us, it's easier for us blokes. We just you know, turn around and have a Absolutely. turn around and have a have a wee. Um, but the, the yeah. snipers can't move. Once they're in position, they can't move um, because the biggest giveaway of someone's position is movement. So they need to keep. Yep. So yeah, bottom line is, uh, if they went to the toilet, they'd just have to go to the toilet where they lay and lay in it. Right, so in in their suits, sort yeah. of in what they're. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. So, like, sorry, but like wetting your pants. Yep, exactly, exactly. Oh my god. Yep. Oh well, you know, it, it is what it is. I mean, yeah. What do you do? It is. It is. Um, look, I, I'd never had to. Uh, I mean, a lot of the time we were holed up. Uh, we had a uh, an un, a covert van that we used. Um, which was just a, basically a white van with blacked out windows. And, uh, you know, if we were doing yeah. um, observations on a place or waiting for an offender to turn up, we'd be sitting in the back of that van. And a lot of the time you're in there for 12 hours. Um, and we used to just have a uh, an empty cordial bottle and just winging that. So, you know, and it used to get passed around. So, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Too much information yeah, now. Yeah, I wish yeah, I wouldn't yeah, have asked. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm just being honest with you. It, uh, it, it, it wasn't ideal, but uh, that's just what, oh, what no. you had to do. Yeah. What you had to do. We, we yeah. couldn't get out of the van to go to the toilet, so we just had to do it in there. Yeah. Don't ask me what would have happened if no. someone had to go number twos. But <laughs> No, I'm not. No, I am not going no, there, Chris. Well, that, Trust that me. never happened, but I, I, I've, always won- I've always wondered what would have happened if that was a cut. Anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll edit we'll that out. <laughs> hey, the, uh, the SOG training regime sounds like torture to most of us, um, or to all of us, I would think. Um, there's been a lot of publicity over the last few years about uh, the Adelaide Crows, the AFL yes. uh, 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 club, that they had a camp uh, in 2018 where they were psychologically and physically almost tortured as well as a result of losing the 2017 grand final. I hate to uh, bring this up, but it was to the Tigers, my beloved Tigers. But apparently the club sought the services of an outside agency to sort of to toughen them up mentally. Mm -hmm. Do you feel that the SOG training regime should be that grinding, that agonising, cruel and punishing? I I actually do. Um, okay. Yes. During the course, yeah, during the intake, um, yeah, you need to separate the wheat from the chaff. Uh, absolutely, I totally agree with it. During the course, I, I don't know. I don't. Have, well, okay. I know there's been a lot of changes since I left. That they did have somebody independent to come in and oversee and observe during the course. Uh, I think a lot of that may have changed. I'm not sure about that, but the the the. the the yep. word I have is that it may, that may have changed, but look, I, I did. I had no problem with it during the course, and and I knew it was just a, a mental games. It was just a game, um, you know. They, they weren't serious, and and these blokes that scared the shit out of me on the course. That all these, these tough blokes, and before you got there, you knew about them. They had this reputation, this tough reputation, you know. They 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 shot and killed a couple of uh, offenders, and oh, this fearsome reputation, and they they really did come across as fearsome during the course. 
Um, and then afterwards, um, nicest guys you'd ever met. And, you know, I said uh, there was one guy in particular who I'm still in contact with and I have huge respect for him. Um, and he actually said, I said to him, you know, you scared the shit out of me during the course. I was shit scared of you. And he just looked at me and laughed and he said, it's just a game, Chris. It's just a game. We're just playing a game with you. That's all it is. But but do you agree with that game? Like as a, I think females are completely, I think we react differently. Um, we need to be treated differently in a way emotionally. I just don't understand how that, like that constant belittling and constant, let's say, bullying and bastardization, how that, I just don't get how it toughens you up. I just, yeah, I have a lot of trouble with that. Um, That's probably just me, maybe. Yeah, look, um, look, as I said, I had no problem with it during the course. And the mental side, the mental toughness didn't bother me at all. Uh, it was the physical side of it, the physical side of it that that got to me. The only time that I ever felt about, I felt like withdrawing from the course was during the physical training, because we 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 were flogged. I mean, I'd, I'd come home when when I came home from the two day camp, I didn't even realise I was black and blue. All my arms, biceps, shoulders, back, um, neck. I was black and blue. It looked like I'd been in a car accident, and I didn't even realise it. My, you know, I walked in and. And, uh, you know, my, my partner at the time, she looked at me and she, she just burst into tears. And I said, what's wrong? She goes, have a look at you. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, I didn't even realise I had all that. Um, yeah. So, look, <laughs> I, I don't agree. I think it needs to be done during the course because it is it does come down to mental toughness. And, and, and mm-hmm. some people might buckle because you, you might be at a job where, um, you, you know, you're under fire. And it, it's happened. It happened in my time when I was there at the SOG. And you you need to know that the bloke next to you is going to be able to fight through it, and not yes. and not go to water. Um, yeah, yeah. So, I've, as I said, I've got no problems with it during the the intake and during the course. Um, look, at the start of the course, a twelve week course, I picked straight away who was going to get through and who wasn't. And uh, you know, okay. I was yep. taking myself out of it because you always have doubts. Um, and and I was proven correct about who it was. Um, okay. But the continuation of it once you're at the group, uh, that's something that I don't agree with. Um, I think you, you've – I mean, sure, you've got to prove yourself once you get there, but, you know, mm. the continual bastardisation and bullying when you're up there – and it didn't just happen to me. It happened to other people mm. as well. Um, mm. Yeah, I certainly don't agree but, with that. But as you say, if you're, uh, you know – let's say, under a house with somebody and you've got an armed defender that's, uh, uh, you know, uh, in the house and they've got a, a hostage, for instance, mm-hmm. as you say, you do need, you need somebody next to you or with you that you know is not going to buckle. So I, I get that. Yeah. 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 Hey, Chris, hypothetically, if you ran the SOG, would you uh, then or now, would you change anything in relation to the training? Uh, not the training. No, not the training. No, not not the initial um, intake training. Um, mm. Look, I, I, I would change uh, certain aspects of 
leadership style at the at, at yeah. the SOG. Yeah. Absolutely, I would. Um, I, I, I yeah. don't think it needs to be run or uh, the way it was. Look, but you, you have to understand this is a lot. This is twenty years ago, over twenty years ago that I was yeah. there. So um, yeah. it, it may well have changed, um, but. Yeah, I would. I would certainly change the leadership styles up there. Um, there's no. There's no need for. We go back to the bastardisation and bullying again. There's, there's absolutely no need for it. Um, and and you know, I don't think a lot of the members up there just didn't react to it well. Um, I, I think the sergeants up there, because they're sergeants, they just think that they have to do that. Um, yeah. You know, not all of them were like that. Uh, there were some good ones. Don't get me wrong. Um, but those those handful up there, um, yeah, they, they they didn't make a good name for themselves while they're up there either, and people didn't like working for them. You know, it was funny. Oh, I think. Yeah, go on. yeah sorry. Go no, on. it was funny because the only time I ever fucked up on a job was with these two sergeants. Um, now, whether that was psychological or not, I don't know. Um, but all the other sergeants that I got along with, I never had a problem with a job. Never ever. Put a foot wrong on a job. It was only with these two sergeants. So whether I was trying too hard or whether I was just looking over my shoulder the whole time and not concentrating, I don't know. But um, yeah, no, I'd, I'd, I'd certainly change the, the leadership style up there for sure. Mm. But I also think that in any squad, in any team within Vicpol, particularly, which is what we're talking about, we are always there's always ones that are very good in leadership mm-hmm. and ones that are shocking. You know, there's always some great people, mm. but, gee, there's um, – oh, boy, there's some shockers. Um, yeah. You told me about a siege that you went to where you were crawling towards a house in all your combat gear, so your extra 30 kg, and you made some – I just thought it was so interesting. You made some determinations about the offender due to – his wood pile and the tidiness of the house and surrounds. It just proved to me how alert you obviously were to everything. Like to me, that is hypervigilance in the extreme. Can you tell the listeners about your thinking around the condition of his house and the wood pile? Maybe just take us through that siege because I just find that psychological, uh, uh, the psychological process you went through fascinating. Pretty incredible, isn't it? How such a successful, popular member of Victoria Police could fall through the cracks like he did without what appears to be not once being confronted about his behaviour or a supervisor even taking him aside and suggesting he seek some help. But that was then and now I'd like to think it'd be a whole different story. When I did join, we all saw behaviour within the walls of our own particular station, which we kept quiet about. But I know many supervisors now, who were my colleagues back then, are just so much better trained in confronting bad behaviour and not condoning it. Uh, Next week, Chris takes us through some of the jobs that he attended as an SOG member. And please note, he talks quite a bit about the shootings at Port Arthur. Hey, it's Narelle here again. Thanks for listening. 
and I hope you enjoy the podcasts as much as we enjoy putting them together. But to make sure you never miss an episode of Narelle Fraser Interviews, hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a rating and even a review. And please share it with all your friends too. And again, thanks for joining us. We have got some amazing stories to tell. So thanks again. See ya. Hello, guess who? Just a quick interruption here to let you know you can now become a Narell Fraser Interviews Patreon. How exciting! Simply go to www.patreon, that's P for Peter, A T R E O N for Narell.com and search for Narell Fraser Interviews. And to all of you out there who continue to support me, thank you so much. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.